0: Hey there, welcome to the Live Wire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank. Did you know April is National Poetry Month? Because I did not until like two weeks ago when our executive producer, Laura, pointed it out and thought we should do an all poetry episode, which I actually thought was kind of a great idea because some of the most memorable moments in Live Wire history have involved poets and their poetry. So this hour we're going to be talking to the poet Roger Reeves who joined us in a hotel room in Austin for one of the weirdest shows we've ever done. Then Franny Choi will stop by to talk about how she really sort of alchemized a lot of Twitter harassment that she was getting into some powerful poetry. Uh, Then Derek C. Brown and the band The Helio Sequence will team up for some poetry set to music that you are not going to want to miss. So don't go anywhere. Livewire, get started right after this. I'm good. The weather is beautiful here Oof. in Portland. We're going to be talking about poetry Woo! on the show today. Did you have a, like a poetry writing phase? You're, you're primarily an essayist, right?
2: Yes, I became an essayist after I took one class in poetry <laughs> and was uh, pretty quickly told that maybe I was a little too verbose for <laughs> the art of the condensed line. <laughs> but I do love poetry. I love, I love uh, formal poetry and mm-hmm. contemporary poetry. I love it.
0: I I don't think of myself as a poetry fan per se, and then every time we have a poet on the show, Mm -hmm. it's a way of talking about experiences and issues like I've never thought of before. Like, it's such a great way to get to the heart of what's really going on.
2: Yeah, they're like the old tradition. They're like the soul of the community, you know?
0: Yeah. Hey, should we uh, get our little radio show going here? Let's do it. All right, Molly, are we recording?
2: Away we go to record the show.
0: Beautiful, <laughs> very poetic. All right, take it away, Elena.
2: From PRX, it's Livewire. Recorded from our actual houses, welcome to the Livewire house party. This week, poets Roger Reeves, Franny Choi, and Derek C. Brown, with musical accompaniment from the Helio sequence. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now let's hear from a fabulous fellow from a room up his kitchen. No, that's not a fluke. Get ready for Mr. Burbank. You know him as Luke. Yay!
0: Wow. Elena Passarello, did you just write that on the
2: fly? Yeah, that is the longest poem I have ever written.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. Roses are red, violets are blue. That would super awesome of you. <laughs>
2: you know, like the scansion is is wonderfully uh, Uh uh, asymmetrical.
0: Yeah, I'm playing with the form.
2: That's right. You're playing with the form. You're a maverick.
0: (laughs) We are going to be talking about poetry this week on the show because April is National Poetry Month. We also wanted to give the LiveWire audience a chance Mm -hmm. to flex their poetry muscles, Mm -hmm. so we asked them to write us a haiku, and we're going to be hearing those coming up in just a little bit. First, though, it is time, of course for the best news we heard this week. It's our way we like to kick off the show, remind ourselves and the listeners, hey, there is some good news that happens in the world. Uh, Elena, what's the best news you heard this week?
2: Okay, I am going to go from my own personal news feed. From the Passarello Files. Yes, the Passarello Files, my social media account. There's this guy that I went to high school with in Snellville where everybody's somebody. I remember when you wrote a song about Snellville. Yeah, and they haven't adopted it as like the town song yet. And it's been almost a year. So, (laughs) TikTok. So this guy that I went to high school with, his name is Travis. I haven't seen him in 25 years, but we are, of course, friends on social media. And he posted this story about um, how two years ago, outside the shop where he works, uh, this guy named George showed up and he had just been released from the hospital. Mm. And wasn't in very good shape and didn't have any place to go. And so Travis just kind of found him a place where he could kind of chill out for a little bit and recuperate and gave him 50 bucks and said, if you can ever make it down to the shop, I'll feed you anytime. You know, I'll, I'll make sure you always know where your next meal is coming from. And George was very, very thankful. And that was two years ago. Flash forward to this week. A car pulls up to Travis's shop and out pops George feeling much better, totally healed driving a car that's his car back on his feet. And he gives Travis the $50 back. And he says, you know, like, that was exactly what I needed to sort of like push forward. And Travis was like, it was just the best thing. And so just made me so happy to think that Travis's little gesture helped and also that George was able to to feel better.
0: Yeah, I think that this pandemic has taught us about how much we need human connection and human kindness. Yeah. And little things like that just going really a long way. Yeah, that is awesome.
2: Yeah, and and Travis said on the thing like I don't want to brag or whatever, but I'm just so glad he posted it because like that's literally the best news that I had heard all week. It was like <laughs> thank you so much for telling me about this lovely exchange between people.
0: Well, this is um, serendipitous because the best news I saw this week also came out of the Peach State. Shut up. The great state of Georgia, specifically Fayetteville, Georgia, mm-hmm. where there's a guy named Andreas Flatten, and Andreas Flatten was working at like an auto mechanic shop. Okay. And decided to put in his notice, wanted to move on, explore other opportunities. It doesn't sound like it ended great Uh-oh. between Andreas and the owner of the mechanic shop in Fayetteville. Okay. Because he was, I think, told, you know what, just do not report for duty anymore. So anyway, he wants to get his final paycheck, right, which is like I think in the neighborhood of like 900 bucks or something. Uh And he keeps calling the place and going, hey, can you give me my final paycheck? He comes out of his house in the middle of the night after he hears a noise, and there is a pile of 90,000 pennies Uh.
2: in his driveway.
0: And Elena, they're not just – Regular old pennies, they are coated in motor oil.
2: What? 90,000
0: oily pennies. This isn't in the pot. best
2: news you've heard all week. Well,
0: like every great story, you know, there's a narrative arc here. Oh, yeah. And so the company Coinstar,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, <laughs> makes those things at the front of the grocery store mm-hmm. uh, where you dump your change and they give you paper money for it. Coinstar, of course, wisely, since a media opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so they showed up at the guy's house, they carted off all of the pennies, they washed them, which sounds like it was not an easy thing. They yeah. got them all clean, rolled them into, you know, rolls of pennies and then just paid the guy out in cash money like in in $100 <laughs> bills. So Andreas Flatten is all set with his 900 and so bucks. Uh, CoinStar got the PR and everybody is doing okay. And also Everybody now knows where not to take their car for repair in Fayetteville, Georgia, which maybe that's the best news that we heard this week. All right. We are celebrating National Poetry Month this episode. Uh, which, of course, poetry is something that our first guest knows all about. He teaches it at the University of Texas in Austin. He also writes it. His work has appeared in The New Yorker, among many other places. Um, Before we get into this interview, a little context for the listeners. Elena, this was maybe the strangest (laughs) live live wire that we have done. We were at this conference in Austin for all the people who work in public radio. (laughs) And we wanted to get some of them to see us do an episode of Livewire. Of course, this was back in the before time, so people could be in hotel rooms together. So we just booked out, like, a pretty big hotel room. Like a suite. Yeah. And then put some chairs out and spread the word at the conference that, like, Livewire was doing something up in room 1414 (laughs) at the Hyatt Regency in Austin. And so all of these public radio people showed up. We got a four-piece band in there. And, of course, we also had Roger Reeves recorded... In room 1414 at the Hyatt Regency in Austin back in 2018. Roger, welcome to Livewire. Thank you. Thanks you for having me. It's great. I was I was reading your work, which is incredible, and I was kind of I was looking you up. And uh, did I get it right that um, you decided you wanted to be a poet like hours after you had flunked a writing assignment
3: when you were like 16? That's a yeah. weird time to decide you want to become yeah, a poet. I, you know, it's back in the era of timed essay exams in mm-hmm. high school, right? You're taking. I was taking AP History. I'll never forget. and They were like, write about. It was like populism and. The Wizard of Oz or something like that. And you had like half an hour. And I was like, well, there's a lot to say. And I would just freeze up. But I knew I wanted to write. I knew that was this thing that I wanted to do, but I just couldn't do it in these times. So I got a D on the exam. And uh, I remember going to my journalism teacher and saying, but this is what I want to do. And he was like, writing doesn't happen like that. You know, he, he immediately allayed my fears, which was like... You don't have to be good at a thing. That's why I like writing. You can actually be really bad at it for a very long time and can get good at it. Like I always say, you can revise into genius. Most people think you have to be a genius. Like you pick up something and you have to like know how to do it right away or have some type of proficiency. But I actually think writing is one of those things where you actually can be really bad at it. And it's really the person that sticks with it. It's less about talent and more about like can you gut it out? Can you just like be ugly, you know? (laughs) For was, as, long was, as was
0: your early stuff pretty ugly?
3: I mean, yes. not just the D
0: you got on that paper. We all know that was bad. <laughs> I
3: mean, I remember the first metaphor I created in fifth grade. What was it? It was about rain. And I remember we had a... It was fifth grade. We were having a poetry contest, right? And so they were like, we're going to take part of language arts. Ten minutes. So, how good can a poem be in ten minutes? Uh, and you're gonna have to write. It. And I remember, I was like, "Oh, they were like, it has to be on the theme of spring." So I was like, "Spring, okay, rain." And so I'm looking at rain hitting the windows, and I'm like, "Rain, rain, go away." No, I was like, I was like, it's it's like baby's feet, baby's feet in the grass, and. I just thought that was the most amazing. I couldn't get past the line. I had like two lines on my poem because I was just like, I created a metaphor. Awesome, right? And so I just kind of got stuck there, which happens with poets. A lot of poets get enamored, you know, with their stuff. They'd be like, oh, that's hot right there. It's like Drake. You know, they just look at themselves in the mirror all the time making music.
0: They're in their feelings.
3: In their feelings. About that
0: poem. About that poem. How do you know when a poem is done, actually, for you anyway?
3: Mm, conventional answer or non-conventional answer? Let's go non-conventional. It's very hard to tell, but okay. So non-conventional is, I feel a big space. I feel like after I'm done, there's this like space. I always call it a field, and it feels like the poem opens out into this field. Um, and part of the knowing it's it's done too, in some ways, is there's things that I don't know what it means quite yet, but I know that all the words are exactly in the right place, right? I think there's a way in which we always think about the writer as knowing exactly what a poem means and. And I think there is that, too. I'm not trying to sort of divorce craft from this. But there's a way in which, for me, it just becomes really peaceful and quiet after a piece. Or sometimes I've taken years where I'll just like, okay, sit this aside for six months. I don't know what it is, right? Six months, two years. And then later I'll come back and say, oh, I've grown into knowing where that is, right? Sometimes you're writing at the edge of yourself. And so if you're like... Becoming something else, and you're writing at the, this might sound abstract, but if you're writing at the edge of who you are and what you know, and you're trying to reach into something you don't know, then often what you're writing is like the future.
0: We're talking to Roger Reeves, uh, a poet and uh, a professor at uh, at Texas here in Austin. Well, then you're saying that sometimes you write a poem and you don't even know why those particular words are in there, is it because you like the sound of them? Is it because you like how many syllables they have? Like, how did they get in there if you don't know why they're there?
3: Well, I believe in this thing that I learned from a mentor, which is you don't intend anything for the poem, but you attend to the poem. So what you do is follow it. You follow its sensibility. So if there's a certain sound that the poem is making or a certain rhyme scheme or a certain sense of rhythm, you just follow that. Let the words fall in. Right. And there's these whole drafts of Keats where Keats is writing and he doesn't know what's next. But he puts like to da to da to dumb and he keeps and then he hears some more words. And because what you're trying to do is make music. Right. That's like scatting. Well, it's improvisational. Does he leave that in the poem? No, no. Because that would be badass. (laughs) Like half the poem was him being like
0: uh, something later, TBD.
3: Hip hop brings that into effect. I think that's what jazz brings into effect. I think we see that in country and Western. Right. Which is sometimes you moan. Right, Because there's not words, but there's sounds that sort of convey the emotional landscape that you want at that moment. So I think that to me, what I'm doing is I'm following him. Like sometimes you just see something, you're like, oh, I want to follow that vision, right? Wherever it takes me, I'll let it take me. You are listening to the Live Wire House Party from PRX.
0: I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We are celebrating National Poetry Month this week by playing some of our favorite conversations with poets over the past few years. we got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere, because when we come back, we'll have much more with Roger Reeves. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th.
2: Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies.
0: Yeah, if you are not yet a member of LiveWire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners uh, is what keeps the lights on over at LiveWire, Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm Probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork Mm -mm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Point is, we... We are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, And, Elena, uh, one more thing, that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this.
2: If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper.
0: Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're Mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you.
1: Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh, my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre alcohol now. ZBiotics pre alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works when you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. ZBiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night. Drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use LiveWire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/livewire and use the code LiveWire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to z for sponsoring this episode and our good times.
0: Welcome back to the LiveWire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, we are talking about poetry this week on the show. It's National Poetry Month. And uh, we're going to rejoin our conversation with the poet Roger Reeves. Now, we recorded this in a hotel room in Austin, Texas <laughs> We think. A- Random gaggle of public radio aficionados in the room with us uh, back in 2018. So take a listen to this. What do you see uh, poetry's job as being in you know in in modern life? That's a great question. Um, I think poetry... finally I got one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like th- our 700th episode.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think it's a question that that we ask of poets in a certain way that we don't ask of fiction writers. I think we don't ask this of musicians totally, but I think it is to do many jobs, right? I think the poet is there to make a good sound at the end of the day, right? They're there to make, to make beauty, but they're also there to engage the political moment. They're there to engage the sociological moment. They're there to engage the future, right? I always think about, there's a quote I really love by Audrian Rich, uh, who's passed recently, uh, but was an amazing, amazing American poet. And she said in a poem, Dreamwood, poetry isn't revolution, but it's a way of knowing why it must come. And so I think that the poem in that way is a harbinger of the future, right? So it's there, so it's there to tell us what the future is. It's there to, to delight us. It's there for pleasure. It's there also to, to sometimes bring discomfort, or it's there to be our vegetables. Sometimes it's our candy, <laughs> right? Sometimes it's the alcohol, you know, and you want to blame it on the alcohol, you know? So it's like the poem can be anything we need it to be, Right, And we have to allow poets to be all these many things.
0: And I would imagine, and you tell me if I'm wrong, that as the the writer of this poem, you have to be okay with it meaning something different to somebody else than you meant it to be like, you're like, I'm writing about this. And they're like, that's exactly like the time when this happened to me. And you're like, that's not what I was thinking.
3: No, it happens all the time. People say, you know, you were saying this in the poem. And you say, well, okay, (laughs) you know, or, or this is the thing that I think we should let poems be. And I think we should let all art be this. Art can be confusing and that is okay. Like, I'm thinking, like, we always want art to, like, have this one-to-one direction and, like, I know I got off at the L stop at this place. It's like, no, art sometimes, you think you're getting off in Oklahoma and you're Montana. Right? right? You thought you were engaged in Picasso and then you wound up and it was uh, Frida Kahlo. You know, like, we have to allow ourselves as spectators, as people encountering art, to be confused. And as artists, we need to say, that's part of the encounter is confusion. Or not knowing. not know, Like, I don't know Sometimes what I'm going to do day to day or if, like, up is down day to Welcome day. Welcome to my life. Right? <laughs> so why do we expect art to be, like, yellow is yellow. Tears yeah. are tears. You know? like <laughs> Yeah. This changes. is
2: exactly what I mean. Like, yeah. Right? yeah. Thesis statement as Pong. Come on.
3: No.
0: Uh, we're talking to Roger Reeves. Uh, he uh, teaches poetry here at the University of Texas, Austin. I know you also have, like, 11 degrees from that place. <laughs> like, two doctorates? <laughs> no, I have one doctorate.
2: Only one? Only one. Oh, uh, well, one. get back to me when you Come
0: have two, Roger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I know that you, 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 brought, uh, you brought something you're going to read, a couple yeah. of poems, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, would you mind sharing that with
3: sure. us? Sure. Uh, this first poem is called Climate Change. And I, I don't know if you remember last December or so there was this picture of a polar bear. In Austin. In Austin. <laughs> All right. No, it was a polar bear on, on, on ice, and it looked like it was at the end of its life. And I, I became very sort of intrigued by this polar bear and actually did research uh, on the polar bear and what its particular predicament was. People were sort of talking about climate change in this way. And so I was thinking about this polar bear um, and also thinking about my father who passed. So this poem is called Climate Change. What is the man now who has lost his tail? What... What is he to do without his heavy bear? I saw it dragging across the ice, its hind legs broken by appetite, like an angry father thrashing the kitchen sink with a kitchen chair, leaving a leg there and another there, lugging the rest to a rusted barrel to burn everywhere that will receive this urn, and panther carrying its darkness and dead heart across the sky. Who would interfere with starving? Kill a walrus, seal, whale? Interferes too late. His death already eating its after-dinner cake while riding atop his blank spine. Death prim, death neat. His bare mouth flooding a trash can finds a skull devoid of meat. Tears, he is learning in his broken fur that he's always been committed to genocide, cancer or climate change, the withness of his body committed to the epistemology of loss. His hunger, honey smeared across his face. Eyes wrung out like a dish rag, scraped out of scrape, left in an oily puddle at the curb, let him drift and tremble Let the scab moss and drying Timothy grease and coffin his wake, his dying slashed across the tundra grass where I twitch. Everywhere I put my bare paws down and starve. Everywhere I am God's unaccounted for pleasure. Behold the future, it is bare. Roger Reeves, everybody. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that was intense and amazing.
3: Yeah. Um,
0: how long ago did you write that?
3: I started that poem uh, in December, and I wrote sort of a longer draft of it, and I just started taking out lines and taking out and taking out and taking out until I felt like I had mm-hmm. sort of exactly what I wanted, which was a conflation of the father and the bear. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. So I got to know your poetry not by picking up King Me, your amazing debut, but by hearing you read first. I think it was before King Me came out. So my my experience with you has been sonic
3: mm-hmm.
2: before it was
3: yeah, literate, sort of yeah, literate on culture, the page, yeah.
2: right? How do you deal with those two audiences, the eyeball audience and the, the experiential audience?
3: I think uh, the eyeball audience, I'm thinking about line, right? So I'm thinking about music. So for instance, that one is playing with blank verse. So there's a unrhymed iambic pentameter happening throughout. Or the rhymes, what I'm doing is I'm syncing them in the middle of the line so that If you know anything about poetry, if you're looking just for the pleasure of the poem, the pleasure of the poem is in the sound that's happening just a little off kilter, right? As opposed to allowing it to happen on the end of the line, it's happening in the middle or it's happening slightly to the left of the middle, right? So it allows for uh, a sort of difference in play. Um, And then, I mean, if you're really in the literature, then you might like look up like... Who else wrote a bear poem? And then you might, you might see some, some similarities. You might look up John Berryman, right? There's a way in which his poem's in conversation with, like, three poets simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all types of pleasure in this poem. Um, and how I'm thinking about the poem for the reader is I always think that a first line should snap you out of whatever world you're in and into the world of the poem and make you want to read the next line, right? So I'm always trying to sort of move you through through startling imagery or through a sense of sound, whatever it is, right? Um, arrest you. The goal of the poem is to actually stop you. Mm. The poem wants to disobey time. It is a disobedient sort of machine. It doesn't believe in linear time. It wants to say, no, 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 stop. Stop, stop, stop. Slow down.
0: I know you got one more poem here, Roger. Yeah. So
3: uh, can we hear that one? Sure. Uh, this one's called Children Listen. It turns out, however, that I was deeply mistaken about the end of the world. The body in flames will not be the body in flames, but just a house fire ignored. The black sails of that solitary burning boat rubbing along the legs of a lover's flung into an Austin sky by a carousel. The lovers too sick in their love to notice a man drenched in fire on a porch or a child aflame mistaken for a dog, mistaken for a child running to tell of a bomb that did not knock before it entered in Gaza with its glad tidings of abundant joy. In Casmirez, a god is weeping in a window, one golden hand raised above his head as if he slipped on the slick rag of the future, our human kindnesses, unremarkable as the flies rubbing their legs together while standing on a slice of cantaloupe. Children, you were never meant to be human. You must be the grass. You must grow wildly. Over the graves. Roger Reeves, everybody, right here on Livewire.
0: That was Roger Reeves recorded. For some reason, we thought this would be a great idea in a hotel room (laughs) at a public radio conference in Austin back in 2018. Uh, Roger has a new collection of poetry that is forthcoming from the W.W. Norton Company, so keep an eye out for that because he is amazing. Uh, You're listening to the LiveWire House Party from PRX. Hey, special thanks this episode to Carlotta Ruffalo of Portland, Oregon. Carlotta is part of the LiveWire member community and is generously supporting our show with a donation each month. And we are so thankful for that support because it's how we are able to keep this little show going. So, Carlotta, thank you so much for supporting LiveWire. This is the LiveWire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank. That's Elena Passarello. Of course, each week we like to ask the LiveWire listeners a question. This week, because we're talking poetry and because it's a form that even, you know, fourth grade Luke Burbank could attempt to tackle, <laughs> we asked the listeners to write us a haiku, and folks actually did and sent them in. Eleni, you've got some collected up there. What are some of the, the haiku that were submitted by the LiveWire listeners?
2: How about this one from Anna Marie? Pandemic pleasures. Masks nix the need for makeup. Food delivered. Joy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's me. I basically love having my mask on mm-hmm. because it means I don't have to worry about what my derpy face is doing, Aww. and I get so much food delivered contactlessly.
2: I didn't think about that, but since we Zoom every week, sometimes twice a week with the LiveWire team, I probably see you full face more than most
0: Just about people. anybody on planet Earth, actually.
2: And you and David are probably the only full faces <laughs> that I see on a regular basis that aren't like cat faces.
0: <laughs> All right. What's another memorable haiku?
2: Oh well, here's one that I mean it completed the assignment but maybe not not really thinking outside of the haiku box. It's by Brett. Okay. Writing a haiku since we were asked if we would. <laughs> I think this will do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's sort of the like Webster's defines haiku as <laughs> it's, it's, sort of submission.
2: I think it's sort of like a write it on the bus, you know, like like on the mm-hmm. way to school, kind of a submission. Yeah. Do you want to hear the we had to write haikus in high school and the tallest guy in my class, he got like an NCAA basketball scholarship. Do you want to hear his haiku? It's yes. so good. Jamaican sunrise. Oh, how ganja blows the mind. Jamaican sunset. <laughs> John Nordine I'll never forget him
0: wow the legend of John Nordine lives on hey. all these years later alright what's another memorable haiku
2: here's another pandemic haiku from Nancy a trip to Belize brown pelicans on the beach when can I go back I think uh, she's
0: tapped into a thought we're all having yes when
2: can I go back
0: when can we be somewhere that's not this tiny room off of our kitchen
3: yeah
0: all right this is the LiveWire House party from prx i'm luke burbank here with elena passarello we are celebrating national poetry month uh, on the show this week um, and our next guest is actually a poet and teacher as well as the co-host of the poetry foundation's podcast Verses, along with another livewire fave Denez smith mm. um, take a listen to this it is our conversation with franny choi we recorded this at the Alberta Rose Theatre in Portland back in 2019. Uh, we were talking to Franny about her poetry collection, Soft Science. welcome to the show.
4: Hi, thanks for having me, y'all. <laughs>
0: um, I was totally fascinated by this book, Soft Science, but I'm curious, and I hope this isn't an impertinent question right off the top, but how do you recommend, as the person who wrote it, how do you recommend people read this book? Because I read it, and I was I was fascinated. I loved the use of language. I felt like I didn't always know what was going on, but maybe that's not the point.
4: Totally, totally. I mean, I, I think that Um, The the problem is that the way that we're taught how to read poems in school is to read them like a code to crack. Like if you don't get what the thesis statement of the poem is then you've like gotten a C on the assignment or something, right? But I think that the way that I prefer to think about how to read poems um, is more like encountering a feeling in the poem, encountering the feeling in yourself and then asking the question like how did we get here and how do I feel about how we've gotten here? So honestly if you read, if anybody reads any of my poems and doesn't know what the hell is happening but just knows that they had a feeling, then great, you A-plus on the assignment. <laughs> ah,
0: and you actually teach uh, poetry, right? Yes, so, so this is like advice that you're giving to your students as well. So maybe there's at least one generation of people reading poetry from that perspective. There's this weird thing around poetry for a lot of people where they think it's going to be too complicated or to something that doesn't feel like it's for them. And maybe it's because of how we've all been programmed to think about it.
4: Yeah. I mean, and also I think it has to do with the kinds of voices that have been privileged in the classroom, you know, um, for better, for worse, I think maybe for, no, I don't want to say worse, but maybe for worse that it's, it's been a lot of dead white guys, you know? And, and I think that like, uh many of the students that are in the classroom are not dead white guys and so to be able to teach living poets poets of color queer and trans poets femme poets um uh people who come from working class backgrounds or anyone who comes from the a similar background as the student population in the room can open up poetry in so many ways
0: yeah well, speaking of old dead guys, the, <laughs> uh, the Turing project comes up a lot in this book. For people who may not be familiar, can you explain what that is exactly and and why that became such a big component of this book for you?
4: Yeah, so um, the Turing test, for those who are not familiar with that concept, um, is essentially a test to tell computers and humans apart. Basically, uh, you have, a, have conversations with um, computer programs and with humans. If you can't tell who you're talking to, that computer has said to have passed the Turing test, right? Um, And for me, as the child of immigrants, um, uh, as a person whose language has been marked as foreign in so many different ways, um, I really related to this concept you know I was like oh yeah sure I have also been put to the test um, and have like used my English conversational skills in order to try to convince somebody that they should treat me like a human being you know um and so uh I sort of fell in love with the form and ended up writing all these poems that take the form of a Turing test for this book
0: um we're talking to Franny Choi her latest book is Soft Science would you mind reading something from the book
4: yeah sure I'll read um the first Turing test poem in the in the book
0: What's this
1: called? It's
4: called Turing Test. Okay. (laughs) This is a test to determine if you have consciousness. Do you understand what I am saying? In a bright room, on a bright screen, I watched every mouth duck, duck, roll. I learned to speak from puppets and smoke, orange worms twisted into the army's alphabet, I caught the letters as they fell from my mother's lips. Whirlpool, sword, wolf. I circled countable nouns in my father's papers. Sodium bicarbonate, NBCN1, hippocampus. We stayed up practicing girl, 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 until our gums softened. Yes, I can speak your language. I broke that horse myself. Where did you come from? Man comes and puts his hands on artifacts in order to contemplate lineage. You start with what you know, hands, hair, bones, sweat, then move toward what you know you are not, animal, monster, alien, bitch, But some of us are born in orbit. (laughs) So learn to commune with miles of darkness, patterns of dead gods, and quiet. Oh, quiet, like you wouldn't believe. Why do you insist on lying? I'm an open book. You can rifle through my pages, undress me anywhere. You can read anything you want. This is how it happened. I was made far away and born here, after all the plants died, after the earth was covered in white. I was born among the stars. I was born in a basement. I was born miles beneath the ocean. I am part machine, part starfish, part citrus, part girl, part poltergeist. I rage, and all you see is broken glass, a chair sliding toward the window. Now what's so hard to believe about that?
0: Wow. Franny Choi, right here on Live Wire, reading from Soft Science. Um, do you find that there are things that you can say in poetry and in the written form that you have a hard time saying, like to people in real life? You're just talking to them.
4: Oh yeah, all of it. <laughs> I mean, real people in front of you are terrifying. You know, it's way better to just like talk to your talk to Microsoft Word and tell tell her about your problems. You know, it's way easier. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, this is the thing. Is also that like in our daily lives, people sort of are looking for the logical answers to things, um, the, the, the ways of answering questions that make sense. And poetry is a space where, you know, somebody could ask, um, how old are you? And then you could talk about being a starfish who was born in space, and that's like a perfectly legitimate answer. Um, and one that comes, maybe comes from some truth of your life and uh-huh. that people kind of just have to sit and respect that, which is great.
0: Um, one of the pieces in this book, we're talking to Franny Choi about her book, Soft Science. One of the pieces in this book, uh, you took tweets that had been tweeted at you yeah. and you ran them through Google Translate. <laughs> yeah. And then you turned that into a, a poem. Can you explain the mechanics of how that worked exactly? And also, why were people tweeting at you?
4: Oh, yeah. Good question. Um, I mean, the short answer is that, like, I said something online about, like, how racism was, like, bad or whatever. And then people got very upset. Um, it's apparently controversial these days. Whoa. Um, uh, yeah. And so, I mean, I think it ended up on some sort of, like, white supremacist Blog party, and then people started targeting me. So and you I was, started
0: getting a bunch of trolling. Yeah, basically. yeah, I got
4: a bunch of trolls in my mentions. Um, it's it's not a cute feeling, and so but but as a poet, I was really fascinated by the language of the, these like terrible racist tweets. You know, I think that the language of white supremacist troll Twitter is fascinating. It's awful, but it's fascinating. And so I wanted to engage with that language, but looking at it all day hurt. And so what I ended up doing was putting them through Google Translate into a bunch of languages then back into English so that they would come out all garbled. And so that I could, I could look at it and engage with this sort of like the material of the text without having it enter my soul, you know?
0: Um- I'm curious what the emotional like journey or experience is for you writing a book like this, because it feels, uh, if I would describe it with one word, I would say visceral. So it's, you're really pouring yourself into this book. Are you just like drained at the end of the process? Like, what is that like for you to make something like this?
4: You know, I think that the opportunity to take painful experiences and turn them into objects that are maybe a little bit beautiful, if you're lucky, is such a gift. And it's it's like the, the safest and most magical way that I know how to engage with the violences of my life.
2: And maybe relatedly to take this kind of like nasty material and then own it and empower it and make it yours and triumph through it. Oh, like, totally. Like to have whatever... Crap, those people spewed at you over Twitter is now like being put into a microphone and sent alongside your name in this beautiful, exciting, yeah, empowered
4: and then People way. clap for me, right? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like they don't clap for them, yeah. they clap for me. Awesome.
0: Hell yeah. All right, Franny, we know that you know all about uh, machines and cyborgs oh, wow. and Turing tests, but we wanted to see how you do on silly public radio tests. So we're going to do that right now. This is a little segment we call Let's Get Quizzical.
2: Let's get quizzical.
0: So you use that technique in your book where you sent those horrible tweets through Google Translate and then made poems out of it. We were trying to come up with maybe a more positive version of that experiment. And so we did. We put classic lines of poetry (laughs) through various translations. And then we want you to try to figure out where we ended up with that. So here we go. Question number one. Uh, if we put the famous first line of the poem, This is Just to Say, by William Carlos Williams, oh, which is, of God. course, the line is, I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox. We put that through Google Translate from English to Russian to Indonesian <laughs> to Icelandic to Urdu and then back to English. Uh-huh. Great. So, did that whole process actually uh, uh, render this result? Don't mouth my ice. Or I eat in the refrigerator, or the purple orbs are in my belly.
4: Oh man, I like the purple orbs are in my belly the most. Yes. So I'm just going to choose that one. It is a
0: great answer. It is not the right one. <laughs> yeah, of course But not. it would be the better answer. I eat in the refrigerator. Yeah,
4: it's good. It's good.
0: What's weird is that the plums just left the conversation,
4: as they are wont to do.
0: Yeah. All right, how about this one? Esperanto. Okay. That was a language, you know, that was supposed to be a common language for everybody on earth. Um, so it did not work out as a sort of worldwide language, but we have translated a famous line of poetry into Esperanto. Okay. okay. and in Esperanto, it came out as, Espero estas la afero con plumage. That is Esperanto. Is that, "Quoth the raven nevermore, by Edgar Allan Poe, to be in love is to touch with a lighter hand by Gwendolyn Brooks, or "Hope is a thing with feathers" by Emily Dickinson.
4: I think it's "Hope is a thing with feathers." I heard "plumage," which seems kind of... You freaky. are
0: so right.
4: Oh my god! That's my match. I knew you were gonna, gonna like talking. this. There
0: you go. Okay, one last one here. If I were to read to you the following line, "Ed tre offly say ikus uye ed tre I may eemsdre. Would that be the pig Latin translation of a famous poem by William Butler Yeats, uh, by Maya Angelou, or by Carl Sandburg? Again, one more time. I tre, oftly say, i ed tre, on way, I may,
4: God, I feel like I just watched the, my life flash before my I eyes, know. and it was very confusing. Uh, I guess I'll say Yeats. I have no idea what you just said. You're
0: absolutely right. Yes. That's Tread Softly because you tread on my dreams. Great, 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 great. Excellent Pig Latin skills. Thank you. Franny Choi, everyone. The book is Soft Science. That was Franny Choi right here on the Livewire house party. Uh, we gotta take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We're gonna keep the poetry rolling when we come back, and we're gonna hear a really incredible collaboration between the poet Derek C. Brown and the band The Helio Sequence. Stay with us. This is Livewire. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. And they make one of a kind handcrafted tea blends like Cinnamon Churro Chai and Blueberry Cream Earl Grey. Use the code Livewire, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. This is the LiveWire House Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. April is National Poetry Month, so we are talking poetry on this week's episode. And our next guest is a former paratrooper for the 82nd Airborne. That's not exactly why we're having him on the show, though. It's because he's also a poet... The New York Times says his work will rekindle your faith in the weird, hilarious, shocking, beautiful power of words. And we think you're going to agree after you hear this performance. This is Derek C. Brown, recorded way back in 2014. He was accompanied by Portland's own The Helio Sequence. Take a listen to this.
5: And now a poem a friend of mine passed away this was the last project him and I worked on Uh, he passed away this week and um, I'm honored to get to reinterpret it with Helios sequence right now this is called 300 Bones true story, it's for Ike here we go Roy Sullivan Roy Sullivan still holds the record for being struck by lightning seven times over the span of 20 years and surviving. He left this earth by his own hand, but the lightning could not take him down. I can imagine the first times it found him in his pickup truck at night, remembering that a truck can diffuse lightning, but not if the windows are down. Whoosh feeling the first blast of light wash over him fast like a fire hose gushing electricity, turning him x-ray, hands steaming, hair sizzling, a left hook from the heavens. The second and third times it struck him, it feeling sudden and ridiculous, an impossible stroke of luck, the news trucks showing up, saying, Mr. Lightning Rod, the human conductor Roy the lightning sucker and priests in their hickey hiding collars using his tale as allegory telling kids that God physically punishes the wicked when we step out of his love. The fourth and fifth time people distanced themselves from Roy scared of all the ire he was drawing from the angels and the forces of heaven. Roy was gunpowder. Roy was a marked target. his wife soon also leaving him after she too was struck. The sixth time, no one came. Roy's fingernails black and gray, a scar down each shin. The doctors could not explain why he was not dead. Roy moved through his town like a ghost. No return to normalcy when the world christens you as bad luck. We've all been bad luck. And the seventh time, Roy, noticing thunderclouds rolling towards him, daring them to speak, he said, Come on! Try and take me! Come on! Try and take me away! A smile welling up in his burnt molars when he felt it start to sprinkle. And then, it struck bulleting down, whipping his legs out, going unconscious, dumping the water on his head as he pulled himself through the mud. One reporter returned to the emergency room and said, seven times, Roy, aren't you worried that you've pushed your luck with God? Most people die from one strike. You still going to go outside if there's a storm? And Roy said, I'll still try to. And the reporter said, what was it like? Roy cleared his throat and said, well, it hurt. It really hurt the lightning and everything else, the people, the leaving, the loneliness, but I'm glad that it happened. I now feel strong. I feel strong the way you feel strong from new love. And I see now that I can't go until I get it all out. I'm so full. I have to get it all out. If God wants it back. He's gotta come get it the hard way. My bones are strong, five times stronger than steel. Not poetically, but scientifically. We are born with 300 bones and we die with 206. What does this mean? This means there are bone guzzlers in the shadows, all dressed up in no thank yous and get lost. And they will come for you. And you must douse them in jars of blood. Flowers, Yes, vast power, truth stripped, a hard loss, tongue kissing, sorrows bizarre, love and 100,000 beats. Money broke up with me a long time ago. I stopped reading the Bible and I started believing in miracles. Alive is a miracle. Your life is medicine to somebody, but you got to go out and find the sick on your own? Do I still dance when all the great dance halls around us keep closing down? Yes, yes, one dance hall closes down and I can see the streets opening up before me and all the canals freezing over and the rooftops getting ready for my moves and the backyards of night lighting up and the empty bars turning up their music and all the abandoned buildings dressed up like us broken into and lit up like new year's fireworks over iceland like all the fireworks that ever aired over all of iceland and the question comes will you still dance when no one needs to dance with you lightning is striking somewhere all the time i say wait for it to roll your horizon feel your bones ready for the light to burst I say may your radios be too loud may you lose your voice singing the road trip eternal may you stand fast in the storm when there's no shelter may you dance on the wreckage after dismantling the myth of constant hell great power comes at weird times in strange places Winston Churchill was born in a lady's toilet during a dance May you hail power's sudden arrival. May you dance the dance of the unknown. May you get all the hell out. May your heart move you so wild that your love scars your legs. Thank you.
0: That was the poet Derek C. Brown. Recorded back in 2014 with musical accompaniment by the Helio Sequence. Derek's latest collection, How the Body Works the Dark, new and revised poems, is available now. All right, before we get out of here, a little uh, preview of next week's show. We're going to be talking to the Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright, Kiara Alegria Uh Her credits include writing In the Heights, along with Lin-Manuel Miranda, NBD, Uh, We're also going to be talking to writer slash nightclub bouncer slash airman slash cable installer Lauren Huff about her new collection of essays about her very fascinating life. We're also going to hear some music from a hip hop duo that also happened to be classically trained string instrumentalists that go by Black Violin. And then, of course, we want to get you, the Livewire listeners, answers to our listener question. Elena, what are we going to be asking the listeners for next week's show?
2: Okay, well, since we're all young, or at least <laughs> young at heart, next week's mm-hmm. question is, what do you want to be when you grow up?
0: Hmm. I'm still thinking about that. Like, I feel like this radio thing is what I'm doing until my real adult life kicks in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, as I as I approach 45, it's starting <laughs> to feel like this might be my real adult life. I'm not sure.
2: Well, you never know. I mean, yeah. if you live till 90, you're not even halfway through.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you want to give us your answer to that question, Uh, What do you want to be when you grow up, regardless of what your current age is? Uh, You can submit those answers via the Livewire social media pages using the handle at Livewire Radio. That is going to do it for our show this week. A huge thanks to our guests, Roger Reeves, Franny Choi, Derek C. Brown, and the Helio Sequence. Livewire is brought to you in part by
2: Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko, and our assistant editor is Trey Hester. Music composition by A. Walker Spring, and technical direction and audio mix is by Molly Pettit.
0: Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission, a state agency funded by the state of Oregon and the National Endowment for the Arts. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff, who is also our featured member this week. Thanks, Kate. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to LiveWireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole LiveWire crew. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.